Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, folks, and thanks for tuning in to AOA. Today, we always appreciate being included as a part of your day. And we're going to talk through several different issues on the program today. Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Research and Analytics is going to join us with a look ahead at what's moving in these commodity markets this week. And then in segment two, we're going to check in with John Boranek, meteorologist with DTN Weather. It is that time of year. Weather drives a lot of decisions across the Corn Belt. John will fill us in on who's going to get work done this week and who's not. And then in segment three, we're going to take a global look at the situation situations that are developing that could impact agriculture with John Holzman, our geopolitical strategist friend, the host of the Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast. He'll be talking about the issues he sees shaping up in both Russia and Ukraine and between China and Taiwan. Without further ado, however, let's dive into these markets. And I want to start Mike Zuzlo of Global Commodity Research and Analytics about a market that I have been watching with great, great curiosity over the past few weeks, and that's the cattle market. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Great to be with you, Mike. Thanks for having me. How did last week end for the cattle trade? We saw a really hot cash beef trade in the couple of weeks leading up to it. Then on Friday, cattle on feed report came out. Mike, how is that, that market changing? Yeah, I mean, I think the market wants to pull back here. Uh, we, we left the week last week with a little bit of a question mark in what the actual cash price was. You know, In other words, was it 175? Was it 180? Was it 182? And what kind of numbers did we trade at those price levels? And so I felt like maybe we put in the bull mindset pretty hard heading into the cattle on feed report in the futures trade, uh, especially the April contract and, and the fat cattle, Mike. But the, the on feed numbers and the marketings um, being you know pretty much on the mark, uh, marketings maybe a little bit lighter than what the trade was wanting. Um, the, the placements, though, were the big deal. And, and we saw a 99% placements number. Uh, from the USDA that compared to an estimate from the news wires of around 95%. And essentially what we're talking about is uh, 700 pound cattle, feeder cattle or heavier um, made up about 65% of the 1.99 million head. And so the market is rightfully going after the feeder cattle today, uh, kind of punishing them with uh, having more cattle in the lots. So the question now goes back to what we did at the end of the week on fat cattle and, and whether the, the packers will pull their bids, knowing that there's more cattle out there and heavier weight cattle. And if they, if they do, then we could be in for a lower weekly trade, I think. Mike, this transition to a lower weekly trade is happening, as I understand it, right in line with the typical seasonals of the beef market. We get that April high, we slide down into the summer. What's the risk of a break here in this futures market in the in the cattle trade this year? Yeah, it's interesting you ask that because I went back in a bunch of my research books and looked at 2013 and 2014. And to answer your question pretty bluntly, it's very high because we're at record high prices and we have an extremely high retail price right now, not as high as it could be given the fat cattle price, but it's extremely high. And so back in 13 and 14, uh, it seemed as though that the high domestic price was really cutting the legs out from underneath the domestic demand, but that was mostly offset with really strong exports. And so if we can keep exports uh, strong during this time period, again, I suspect this would be more of a correction as the April goes off the board, Mike. 
and then maybe the funds will want to try and pick up some longs again. But if we start to see exports slip, this could be one of two or three legs down, I fear. And uh, that's why the cash market trade today is going to this week, I should say, is going to set me up as to whether I get some hedges underneath me on paper for producers and cattlemen I work with. Keep that head on a swivel, folks. Volatile markets with a lot of factors that could move it up or down here in the uh, immediate future. Mike, you were talking about export demand for beef really helped that market this past year. We've seen export demand for the grain stay strong. But this week, it sounds as if one of our large customers might be stepping away. We had a corn cancellation, it sounds like. Yeah. And I think, Mike, this is, is you know, I couldn't prove this from a standpoint of a newswire story saying this or something like that. But I have a sneaking suspicion that the, the talk by Russia saying that they're going to kill kill the Black Sea Grain Initiative immediately if the G7 does any more increased sanctions on, uh, on Russia is going hand in hand with China canceling corn this morning from the United States of 327,000 metric tons. I think that's a really big issue where we have a, a situation where these two countries are working pretty much in tandem, in hand in hand, uh, especially when it comes to the agriculture commodities. And I think quite frankly, that's a big reason why we haven't seen some of the fundamentals that are supportive to the prices and would suggest in earlier times adding risk premium to these markets. They've just stayed on the sidelines because of what we're seeing develop between this partnership and this uh, this this cohesiveness that, that these two formerly you know major communist countries that were essentially competitors in the 70s and 80s, they pulled together. They have, Mike. They have. We saw that Chinese cancellation, 327,000 metric tons here to start the week. And you mentioned that Russian wheat grain deal back and forth that's going on. We'll see how that plays out over the coming weeks. But in the meantime, Mike, we've got a wheat crop here in the U.S. that is struggling. You talk to growers across Kansas. What are you hearing on this hard red crop there across the, the Kansas and Oklahoma panhandles? I tell you, I heard as late as last night, I'm, you know, kind of in quotes, I'm not sure how much any rain's going to help me at this point for more than maybe half my crop. The wheat has been blue in many areas, meaning that it was suffering to the point where it was, you know, on its last legs. But, you know, it, it goes back to the idea in the trade, I think, Mike, that you can't kill wheat. And I think you're going to have to have some authoritative figure, whether that's the Wheat Quality Council tour that comes out soon, whether it's USDA's May crop report and the brand new supply demand numbers for 23, 24 coming out with the lower yield. Or, or whether it's somebody like K-State coming out and saying we've got damage and rain's really not going to help a lot of this crop because I am hearing not only is it, is it really in dire shape that's, that is still living, but some clients have seen as much as a third of their crop written off by crop insurance. And so it's going to be interesting to see what the crop conditions say today and then see how the trade wants to try and play this uh, change in weather pattern that these models are projecting. I'm telling clients and subscribers right now, I really don't see much of a shift in the mindset of the trade until that European wheat market and that European corn market can bottom. And I think that goes back to the Black Sea Grain Initiative, goes back to those Polish and Ukrainian corn and wheat bushels that are hitting Eastern Europe and keeping pressure on those European prices. That makes sense. Mike, you know, as we watch the wheat complex today, we're seeing that play out, that Chicago contract down three to four cents. Both hard red and spring are now up on that spring wheat. Is the trade starting to get concerned about planted area quite yet, or do we still have some time to breathe? They should be because we came in last week at 3%. And uh, last year at that point, we'd already gotten 8% in. We probably should be close to 20 or 22% 
when we see the numbers today. And I wonder if we're even out of the single digits at this point, Mike. So I think they should be. I, I do think, as you kind of allude to, today's trade is a spreading, heavy, tra- uh, heavy spreading day. And they're doing it, I think, the right way. They're going after the beans. They're selling corn because the corn belt's getting planted a little bit faster, it would seem. But they're also being much more respectful of the spring wheat. And I think that could be, along with the European markets, kind of the canaries in the coal mines for when these major lows could come in. It is going to be interesting to watch that as a bellwether here as we get deeper into spring. Folks, we've been talking today with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Research and Analytics. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me, Mike. Folks, stick around. John Baranek, meteorologist with DTN Weather, will join us to talk about what could be getting in the ground here in the week ahead. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. 
For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back. Gentlemen, focus is on weather. This time of year across much of the United States as growers are watching as their crops come out of dormancy for those fall planted crops and preparing to get those spring seeded crops into the ground. Well, joining us to keep an eye on this weather is John Baranek, meteorologist with DTN Weather. And John, thanks for joining us today. Oh, yeah. Always good to be on with you, Mike. Good talking to you. As always, before we get into the week ahead, John, let's talk about what we saw over this weekend. It was a cold weekend for a lot of folks here across the United States. Did we see some some disruptive cold temperatures move far south? I mean, I think so. We saw uh, frosty temperatures all the way down through the Texas Panhandle, northern Oklahoma, even through uh, most of Kentucky and, and, and northern uh, Tennessee. So and all, all those places and, and, and points north saw at least temperatures hit freezing or below. Um, a lot of those had some hard freezes in there too. So I know we had uh, a good week of weather two weeks ago that kind of um, led to a lot of planting. Uh, hopefully we didn't have a whole lot of uh, damaged uh, emergent crops there. Um, probably not, but you know, that, that would be one concern. But the more advanced wheat too would be um, uh, having some issues possibly with, uh, with some of the frosty temperatures that went on over the past couple of mornings. Yeah, that winter wheat crop, they've used up a lot of their nine lives, John. And that was a conversation we just had with Mike Zuzalo there in segment one, talking about that wheat crop across Kansas. He mentioned that there is the potential in the forecast here for the week ahead to see some rain across that southwestern uh, part of the United States. What's the uh, what's the crystal ball show? Yeah, there sure is. So there's a little uh, system kind of up in the Pacific Northwest right now. It's going to move down through the Rockies. Uh, it's going to come through with with uh, a couple of, of waves of rain. We get a little bit of one here today, not too much though. Uh, really, the, the main action here is is Tuesday and Wednesday, and that's going to go through the main drought areas there in the southwestern plains. So we kind of saw that popping up last week, and I was kind of dismissive of it because it's not really the the type of of storm track to really bring in a whole bunch of uh, precipitation there. But models have been insistent. Um, and all the way through the weekend and uh, now here on Monday, too, they're, they're, they're still carrying through with a lot of good rainfall. We're looking at um, uh, a lot of areas seeing at least an inch. Now, that's going to come with some uh, thunderstorms in it. So there's going to be some pockets that actually grab onto those inch plus amounts and some that are going to be left behind with a little bit less. But uh, the, the prospect for overall widespread rainfall here is the greatest I've seen uh, this year so far. So um uh, it, it's it's a little bit of optimism but you know like mike was talking about in the, on your last segment i don't know how much help it's going to be for the wheat um for the the spring crops that still need to get planted or or just got planted recently uh it should be a good boon to that pastures as well that's the truth i mean we've been hoping this cattle market has been on a run i'm sure some cattle producers down in those regions would love to see some green grass come back up in their pasture to get those refilled john so let's hit the details you mentioned tuesday wednesday that system's going to develop there across the southern plains does it then spiral out spin north and east as these things typically do or what do you see happening as the week goes on no this one's actually more of a flat track so it kind of goes across the southern half of the country here for the rest of the week um, that'll bring, you know, showers through the lower Mississippi Valley down through the Southeast. 
but it's not the only system to move through this week. Um, we do get another one to kind of move in uh, almost right behind it. This one will be more farther north uh, with the storm track, uh, with that one going through the kind of Dakotas, through the Great Lakes. Um, may come in a couple of pieces as well. So there's still some details for models to work out. But that looks like more widespread showers across the Dakotas, uh, through Nebraska, and, and then uh, points eastward from there too. May even see a little bit of this rainfall getting back down into the south, southern plains as well. So we may get another round of a little bit of rainfall moving through there later this week. So um, overall, this is a, a better week for some of these drought areas. Um, uh, even even some of those leftover ones across uh, the northern plains up through Canada and, and uh, into Nebraska as well that might miss out on this first round, uh, getting hit with at least a decent shot of, of you know, maybe a half inch or so uh, with this system moving through. John, I'm going to ask you a question that I'm sure some of our listeners up in the Dakotas are asking themselves right now. You mentioned chance of cold weather, a chance of rainfall across the Dakotas. Is this going to be snow for our friends in North and South Dakota, or are we confident that this one might be rain? Well, I'm pretty, I'm pretty certain that most areas are going to see rain. We might see some, a little snow mix in, uh, especially if some of this comes in through kind of the overnight hours. Um, but for the most part here, unless you're kind of butted up against the, the Rocky Mountains, um, it looks like a lot of this is going to come through as rain. So um, that's, you know, a good sign. It'll do two things. Uh, one, it'll soak into the ground um, fairly rapidly. Two, uh, it'll help to melt some of that remaining uh, snow pack up there as well. I mean, we've, we, we're seeing some some flooding there in the Red River Valley between North Dakota and Minnesota, um, and that's going to continue here this week, um, regardless of whether or not the, the, the rainfall was going to come through. Um, so it might exacerbate that a little bit. Uh, but overall, um, it, it's not more snowpack to add on to everything. So that's that's good news, I think. Well, it is. I mean, I think that is definitely a blessing, John, here. As you think about uh, the cold temperatures that we saw develop over this winter, I know growers are excited to get out there, get into the field. Are you expecting a warm-up along the Corn Belt, or are temps going to stay below average here for some time? Yeah, not this week. It looks like it's going to continue to be uh, another chilly week. Um, you know, we saw those those temperatures move in kind of la last week, into the weekend. They're going to stick around here all this week, even with these couple of systems moving through. Um, they're really just adding to an overall upper level trough that's situated itself over the eastern U.S. And underneath those troughs, we usually get some colder weather. Uh, so they're really just continuing that that overall trough here through the weekend and into next week. So um, at least through the, the first few days of May, it looks like we're going to be stuck in some below normal temperatures. Now, you know, even below normal isn't that cold for a lot of us, um, unless we're up here like me in Minnesota and the Dakotas, um, you know, it's... Daytime temperatures in the 50s, 60s. Uh, if you're farther south, it's in the 70s. So it's it's overall, it's not too bad. Um, and you know, we, we still will have to, to worry about some frost uh, potential here over the next couple of days, mostly across those northern areas. But um, um, yeah, overall, you know, as, as we're getting out of April and into May, I mean, normal temperatures are, are you know, depending on where you're at in the 60s, 70s, or 80s. So uh, getting a little bit below that isn't too bad for a lot of folks as long as they're everything we're not adding any snowfall or things aren't excessively wet uh, we could see some soil temperatures kind of uh, pump back up there as we get into may all right could see that warm up coming here as we get deeper into may great point john curious about the eastern corn belt we know they have seen adequate moisture this year we've seen some movements into the field early on how does that eastern corn belt look indiana and eastward here as we uh, press farther into this planting season yeah, I mean, they had some, like I said, cold temperatures here. Um, they really got cold this morning. Uh, saw a lot of 20s around in Indiana, Ohio. 
uh, Michigan. Um, but And they may get another cold uh, morning here tomorrow morning. But there's some isolated showers that are kind of mosey around, nothing too major for the front half of the week. Uh, the system that goes through the southern plains mostly stays to the south of the Ohio River, so I don't think that's a major concern. It'll be the second one that kind of spins through, but that's not till like Friday or through the weekend, just depending on which model's right here. Um, uh, of, of showers coming through. So overall, not a, not a bad week um, if you're planning on going out. As long as um, uh, you know soils aren't aren't too wet for you, I think it's not a bad uh, not a bad week to get into the field. All right, John, I want to turn our focus down to South America. Of course, we've been watching the development of that safrina corn crop across Brazil. They planted more acres to corn. They've become friends with China. And John, we saw China cancel a big buy of U.S. corn here earlier today. Is this an indication that there's confidence that that corn crop in Brazil is going to make it across the finish line? Yeah, they might be seeing it that way because um, they're they're off to a pretty good start. You know, we were uh, concerned when kind of those wet season showers started diminishing here about a month ago. That, that might uh, you know, create some um, hazards there for that safrina crop. But instead, they've had a couple of systems move north out of Argentina and kind of supplement those wet season showers. So they they, uh, they ended up in pretty good shape for a lot of a lot of areas there. Um, now is their kind of normal time when the wet season ends anyway. So um, they're, they're, they kind of went over that that first hurdle of getting through that wet season showers. Um, the next hurdle will be coming up, and that will be uh, frost potential. We'll, have, we'll be on the lookout for that. Um, but usually we don't see those for about another month. So um, in the time being, um, as long as they get a couple more systems to move through, which looks like they will, they'll get one here this week. Um, and models are kind of pointing to another one next week. Um, that things are, are actually looking pretty, pretty good down there for Brazil safrina corn. All right, John, real quick before we let you go. The Black Sea there, those farmers are getting into the field here shortly. Does the weather look favorable for those growers? Uh, well, they've had some pretty consistent showers uh, over the last several weeks, and it looks like this week they'll have some more of that. Uh, Ukraine, especially um, for southwestern China or southwestern Russia, uh, it'll be a little bit drier, so it might be a little bit more conducive for getting out of the field. Um, but overall, I mean, they've got some pretty good soil moisture. Showers are coming at a, a pretty decent clip, as long as they're not worried about dodging bombs or anything. Um, uh, you know, the weather is, is overall fairly cooperative for them out there in the Black Sea region. Well, that's good. You're right. They've got a lot of other issues to keep an eye on skyward here as they get their planting done over there. Folks, we've been talking with John Baranek, meteorologist with DTN Weather. And John, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Mike. And folks, stay with us. We'll dig deeper into the geopolitical events with our next guest, John Holzman, host of the Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast. Stay here for more AOA when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800 800- 
That's 800-209-6416. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, court under pressure, soy complex a bit higher in wheat is mixed here as we start off this week's trade. It's going to be another cold week across the Midwest, and that will likely keep planting progress a bit slower than desired for the final week of April. However, as we look at the seven-day forecast for much of the Corn Belt, things do start to warm up with less rainfall. That should get planting moving. That is weighing on the corn trade a little bit. Now we see that basis bids for corn shipped by barge to U.S. Gulf Coast export terminals They declined last Friday, and export premiums fell due to large supplies coming out of South America. On the soybean side, we are higher here with front months leading the way as we see domestic demand keeping nearby prices supported. But that Brazilian harvest pressure is definitely there, especially in the new crop contracts. The U.S. did buy some Brazilian soybeans on Friday after their prices dropped significantly. Something to keep our eyes on there. All three wheat classes uh, trading mixed here as we begin the week with unfavorable weather. The forecast as Texas not for really forecast to receive rain that they need. And Kansas and Oklahoma are expected to receive some scattered showers. So kind of a mixed bag here in this wheat trade. We also saw another cut to Russian wheat production down to 84 metric tons here from an earlier forecast of 86 due to problems in eastern Russia. Cattle complex under pressure after a bearish cattle on feed report was seen back on Friday. All the numbers did come in below last year's levels, but many of the numbers were higher than trade expectations. So we are seeing that pressure weigh into both live and feeder cattle trade. While the hog market is up moderately here, maybe a little more short covering. We saw some of that on Friday as well. Outside markets, the Dow is up slightly with crude oil around 78.30 a barrel. And again, mixed activity with corn down moderately, beans moderately higher led by front months and mixed action in wheat. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We have been talking today in so many different ways about the impact of global events on American farmers' bottom lines. They certainly have an impact. And we've got three 
big ones developing right now. We've got the ongoing Russia-Ukraine war. We've got rising tensions between China and the United States all over Taiwan. And we've got embassy staff being evacuated from Sudan in Africa. What does all this mean? How much do we need to pay attention to this as agriculturalists? Well, joining us now for an update on these issues is geopolitical strategist John Holzman. He's a life member of the Council on Foreign Relations, and he's the host of the Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure to be back, Mike. Let's start with our discussion here between Russia and Ukraine. You've been on that since the very beginning. Of course, you live in Europe. You keep up to speed with this issue. John, this war is still ongoing. How do you see it developing here over the next couple of, of months? Well, I, I think we're in for the long haul. I mean, as we said before, I mean, the first prediction my risk firm made at the beginning of the year is this is going to go on all year. And at the time, people said, no, no, no. Well, yes, yes, yes. The problem with this war is that both sides still think they can win. And as long as that's the case, the war will go on. The Russians have had a counteroffensive now for the last several months, and it's grinding to a halt. They've made very limited tactical gains around Bakhmut. Thousands of people died on each side. It's become kind of the Verdun of, of the situation. If you might notice, Mike, you don't see any pictures of the battlefield anymore because it's just like World War I. It's a series of trenches and artillery shells, and this is ground to a halt. And then just today, literally, it looks like the Ukrainians are about to give their counteroffensive, but it's unlikely to really punch through. There aren't enough Ukrainians, they don't have enough new weaponry, and they don't know how to use those weapons well enough. So frankly, we're in for a long stalemate. So that grind is continuing there on the front, John. Of course, I'm curious about what's happening on the home front in Europe. Western Europe has been gung-ho. They've all been locked together in supporting Ukraine. But now we're seeing some cracks as this Ukrainian grain creates domestic issues. From your perspective, how is the rest of Europe grappling with this ongoing war? Well, Mike, that's the right question, because the two things that are going to determine this are outside factors, the war fatigue in Russia and the war fatigue in both Europe and the United States, who are, after all, bankrolling the Ukrainians. Without the Europeans, and particularly without the United States, the lights simply wouldn't be on in Kiev. And so the war fatigue numbers are really important to watch. And they are, of course, it's occurring in our own country as well. The Republican Party now, slightly fewer than 50 percent, think that continuing to fund Ukraine is worth it. That number has gone steadily down from about 75. And in countries, key countries in Europe like Italy, like Germany and like France, you're beginning to see an awful lot of fatigue set in. Uh, in polling, the Germans, if they could have the war end on the lines they are today and know that it was over, 75% of Germans would take it. The French, just over these last few weeks, when President Macron went to see Xi Jinping in China, he said that he would be very careful to be in neutral position with China and that, he, that really it was time to push for the war to end. So you do see fatigue really beginning to set in in the West. And again, the problem for Ukraine is there are just not enough Ukrainians. Almost everyone has been drafted up to the moment. And so whether they're going to have enough supplies and wherewithal to go forward or whether they're going to be forced to cut a deal is really highly problematic. But it's going far less well for the Ukrainians than the mainstream media would have you believe. All right. So we'll continue to see that counteroffensive develop here over the coming days. John, I want to ask you about something the Russians have threatened a lot, which is pulling out of this Black Sea grain yeah. corridor, basically saying, all right, fine, we won't sell any of our wheat into the global market. Talking to American wheat producers, that I think might be a win. We could use the boost to pricing. But it sounds like Russia still believes this is a compelling argument on the global scene. Who are they talking to with this argument? 
Well, what they're doing is particularly worrying the West because the people who would be dependent on Russian grain, um, and also, by the way, Ukrainian grain, um, are in North Africa, that the supply of grain in North Africa almost entirely comes from Ukraine and Russia. And in Egypt, for instance, they have only about a week's supply in reserve, none, in other words. And so the destabilized vast parts of the developing world ought to be relatively easy for Russia as a wrecking power. And so this is really the implied threat that to the developing world who are utterly dependent on grain. And in Egypt, I was just in Egypt in January, bread is the staple you know, of everybody. That's what you eat at breakfast. And without that there, that very, very quickly, there would be a problem. And in fact, the last time there was real dislocation in the price of bread, there was a revolution in Egypt. Um, and so the Russian threat is to be taken seriously. John, we've heard, I mentioned the evacuation of the embassy in Sudan. Of course, that's an African nation. No doubt they're connected to these grain flows. Is that a part and parcel of the issue in Sudan? Or, or how much of that Sudanese issue do we need to pay attention to here in the U.S.? We do. It's, it's not really caused things up to now, but it could be another explosion of risk afterwards. I mean, the main problem in Sudan is Libya to its north, which used to be run by a very nasty dictator named Omar Gaddafi. But the first rule of foreign policy is do no harm. And the West under Obama and particularly Western European leaders, particularly in Italy, wanted to get rid of Gaddafi. And so they did without ever asking the key foreign policy question, what comes next? And without Gaddafi, we've had anarchy. We've had Libya devolve into a series of warlords. At one point, ISIS actually had a base in southern Libya, but it's now devolved into, devolved into a series of warlords, one of whom, Mr. Haftar, has trained troops that are now destabilizing Sudan. And so the problem is always, if you have a bad guy in place, it, it's morally satisfying. It feels good to get rid of him, but it doesn't always mean doing good because what you do is store up chaos. And that's what's happened in Libya. And that chaos is now spreading into Sudan. And so getting rid of Gaddafi looks more and more of a disaster. Bad guy, though, he certainly was. Okay, so we'll continue to watch that in Sudan to see if it does, in fact, spread to a wider area. But, John, I want to turn to the meat and potatoes, if we can, of foreign policy issues, I think, looking out into this year ahead. You mentioned the first rule of foreign policy, do no harm. Is that a rule we are heeding with these China-Taiwan discussions? The, the thing about it, and you're right, I mean, look, Mike, the key to the game is the Indo-Pacific. It's where most of the future economic growth of the world is going to be in this region from India through to China. And it's also where a lot of the political risk in the world is. And the United States is the dominant power in the region and has been since World War II, 1945. And we would like to keep it that way, but that only works if we bring allies on board because the Chinese more and more look covetously toward Taiwan. And if they were to take Taiwan, a number of horrible things would happen. One, they'd break out of the first island chain and their navy could then sail into the blue waters of the Pacific and the Indian Ocean, and they could dominate the region, which is most important coming in the world. Two, most of the chips that are in our computers are made, high advanced industrial chips are made in Taiwan, something like 67 to 80% are made in Taiwan. We don't want to give away the technological future of the world to Beijing. And third, if the United States was to lose credibility over Taiwan, you'd watch the rest of the region cut a deal with China. So Taiwan and the new Cold War between China and the United States, Taiwan is the new Berlin. It's where everything matters. 
John, how do you see this current tension resolving or or intensifying? I suppose sounds like a likely answer here over the next several months. What do you foresee over there in that part of the world? world? Well, it, yes, Mike, it's going to get worse before it gets better. The key is if by around 2027, we've talked about everything being about timing, the new United States alliance is the quadrilateral initiative, which is an anti-Chinese alliance to stop their expansion, a mini NATO, if you will, comprising Australia, Japan, India, and the United States, exactly who you'd want to be in this group, and trading groups like the CPTPP, which we're not a member of, but the, it's a Japanese-led trading alliance in the region, it's going to take time for these things to settle in. And so the moment of maximum danger is between now and 2027. If we can deter China that long, then there's huge upside in the region. But if we don't deter China, this is the place in the world where World War III is most likely to break out. Oh, boy, that is a grim thought. John, we hear a lot about the U.S. response to China. Can you talk a little bit? How is China responding in country to the U.S. efforts to limit chip imports into that country and these other contentions? Is it being discussed at the highest levels? Oh, it is. I mean, they've made a number of mistakes, and I think we make the mistake of always assuming our enemies are infallible, and yet the historical graveyard is littered with people who underestimated the United States, Kaiser Wilhelm, Hitler, Stalin, Mao, all of them. And Xi Jinping has made a number of mistakes and bullied people in the region. He bullied India in the Himalaya by taking territory. He bullied Australia over the origins of COVID. And as a result, the region is now closer to the United States, not because we're so great, but because we're not them, than it's been in a long time. And you see the Chinese beginning to change from this overly aggressive posture, which has driven the region into the arms of America, trying to be a more neutral posture because they see that what they've done hasn't worked up until now. This has provided the United States a little bit of breathing room to do things like put together the quadrilateral initiative, but we have to work an awful lot more with allies there to deter the Chinese so that we can stop them from grabbing from Taiwan and maintain the sense of order we have now. There's huge upside in this region, but again, it's the region of maximum peril. It is indeed. John, is the Chinese charm effects offensive working? Are they picking up new friends and allies on the geopolitical stage? Well, they are in the, in the Middle East more than in the Indo-Pacific. Their problem in the Indo-Pacific is people know their track record too well. And everybody in the region knows what they did in Hong Kong, crushing their students, what they're doing to the Uyghurs in Western China, the bullying of Taiwan, the bullying of Japan in the East China Sea, the bullying of India, as I've said, in Australia. It's very hard to undo that. And this is going to be the huge advantage the United States has, not our strengths, but the weaknesses of Xi Jinping. But in areas like the Middle East, where China's recently brokered a deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia of everything, they are picking up allies in the broader uh, developing world, countries that want to be neutral between the United States and China. And this is something we've got to do better on. And this has been a problem since the days of Jack Kennedy. Keep your eyes on the world. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been speaking with John Holzman, host of the Around the World in 20 Minutes podcast. John, thanks for joining us today. Always fun, Mike. And folks, stay with us. We'll have more AOA when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. 
You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We, we, we We are are the the Foundation foundation Fighting fighting blindness. Blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Please be silent as the runners take their marks. And looks like one plant has already pulled into an early lead because it's been enhanced with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Wait, wait, and the early favorite has crossed the finish line. Get the most out of your fertilizer investment. Don't forget to add Biopath to your early season application. Talk to your retailer about Mosaic Biologicals today or visit cornsprint.com. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers, and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. The water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. 
and please recreate responsibly. Get on board. Get on board. Over 2.8 million Americans have served in our military since 9-11. Many have returned home with devastating injuries and few resources for them and their families. This is news correspondent Bob Woodruff. I sustained a life-threatening injury while reporting from Iraq in 2006. The military had my back that day, and they have each other's while serving. It's time we had theirs. Please join us as part of the Got Your Six initiative. To learn more, go to gotyoursix.org using the number six. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Before we go for the day, we do have an update on several different stories that we've been covering here on AOA. One of them goes back to just what we were discussing there with John Holzman. The Ukrainian grain piling up in Eastern and Central Europe. We've talked about this for the past several weeks. This has been an ongoing concern for Eastern European growers outside of Ukraine. As that Black Sea grain deal got winnowed down and the ship exports and inspections were slowing, much of the grain that Ukraine was exporting was moving overland rather than out the ports through the Black Sea to its buyers. It was moving overland into Poland, Hungary, Slovakia, etc. And then because of transportation issues, the ongoing supply chain disruptions that we've seen not just in America but globally, that grain was ending up trapped in those countries and farmers in Poland, Hungary, and Slovakia were then competing with much cheaper Ukrainian grain that was moving across their borders. This has been frustrating for those three countries in particular. All three of them over the past several weeks have put different degrees of export, excuse me, import bans in place on goods coming out of Ukraine. And Poland has now taken it a step further. It was announced over the weekend that the European Union, of course, the overarching body which oversees all the EU members, has put forward a very small plan to help these growers in Eastern Europe. About 110 million euro plan was put out by the EU. The Polish government said that was not enough. It was not enough to uh, uh, repair the damage done by this low price grain coming into the country. So Poland has announced a $2.4 billion aid package for Polish agriculture. Uh, the idea is they are going to be supporting prices in that country in order to keep their farmers happy, and the Polish government hopes this will allow them to keep that grain moving, though it will not be allowed to stop in Poland. They want to be monitoring it, making sure that any Ukrainian grain imported into Poland makes its way on that exact same equipment out the other side of Poland, so it's not trapped in there, disrupting their farmers' grain prices. Coming back to the United States, a lot of times we focus on government actions here that maybe have impacts on your operation that we don't see right away. We see this from the waters of the U.S. rule from various presidential administrations. We've seen this across the gamut of federal policies. Well, this past weekend, we have a new office of the federal government that was created by the Biden administration. On Earth Day, so this was last Friday, April 21st, the Biden administration officially signed an executive order making the Office of environmental justice, a new position here at the federal government. The White House has released an environmental justice scorecard. They're going to measure progress by federal departments and agencies on environmental justice measures. Uh, the scorecard did say that 65 USDA programs and $7 billion in funding here in this past 2022 were covered by the administration's Justice 40 initiative, 
which was their prior effort for environmental justice. Now, the administration does say that the the Office of Environmental Justice, quote, the fair treatment of all people in the development and enforcement of environmental policies is what this new office will be doing. Facts are still relatively sparse on what all this office will be overseeing, the impact and the interrelationships it will have with other federal agencies, but you can bet our friends in the world of ag policy across the different species and types of agriculture are digging into this to see, all right, just how could the policies and proposals from this new federal office impact agriculture. Because as we know, things that get said in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill certainly have an impact in the discussion we have here in agriculture. Currently, the hottest talk in Washington, D.C. is about the debt limit. This is the law that allows the United States to spend the money it has already allocated, and Republicans are saying we're spending too much money. We need to scale that back. In one place, they have floated to scale back some of that spending. Four and a half trillion in spending cuts uh, would be through SNAP. That's the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, used to be called food stamps. Typically, it's a, uh, it is a piece of the discussion that happens during the farm bill. Well, Chairman of the House, uh, excuse me, Speaker of the House, uh, Kevin McCarthy, floated a plan, should be voted on this week here in the House of Representatives to tie moving the debt ceiling up with these cuts in SNAP funding. Now, President Biden has not engaged at all, as far as I'm aware, on this deal as of yet. It is widely expected he would not be supportive of this. They have said they are not going to do it. And it's likely that the Democratic-controlled Senate also will not take this measure up, certainly are not likely to vote in favor of it. So it seems as though it's more of a signaling bill, which we heard from Jackie Fatka on yesterday's program. We'll continue to watch how this goes should a bill get through tying debt ceiling to vote, tying the debt ceiling movement to the SNAP vote, that would change the political calculus required to get that farm bill across in 2023. It might serve as a way for folks to get their preferred policy aims back into the farm bill if they change here in the SNAP debate, or if this were to get passed on, uh, this would effectively cut out some of the discussion during the farm bill. So pay attention. That vote is expected on Wednesday, though it is the House of Representatives. They do have the prerogative to move things around to make sense in their schedule. So we'll continue to keep an eye on what's developing there in D.C. I want to take one more quick look at Europe before we go. We've talked on this program about the drop in wholesale food prices. This is a trend we've been seeing throughout the retail and wholesale grocery industry. Prices have been coming down at the wholesale level for about six months, not just in the United States, but this is happening globally. And in France, which if listeners can recall, they have seen a number of protests and riots here over the past several months as the French government has raised the retirement age from 62 to 64, that upset a lot of people. And those people now are upset both that they're having to work two extra years and that food prices are still high. The French government came out and told food retailers that the government will be taking action if they do not pass along lower wholesale prices to consumers struggling to cope with the rising cost of living. Now, we don't know what all tools the French government has in their toolbox to do that, but they are coming out swinging, at least trying to drive some political headwinds. Before we go for the day, folks, I'd like to end on a piece of good news. We've got positive movement here on highly pathogenic avian influenza. We're not out of the woods, but we're seeing cases come down. The state of Indiana, in fact, is now considered free of HPAI. Not in all clear. Obviously, the disease is still percolating in wild birds. 
but that is good news there in Indiana. Iowa also seeing their HPAI numbers start to decline in both commercial and backyard flocks. Folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll talk more about what's moving in the world of agriculture here on AOA. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. There are a ton of social networking websites, but one stands apart for a very special reason. This one saves lives. It's MatchingDonors.com. MatchingDonors.com links organ donors with people in need of kidney and other transplants. In the U.S., 22 people die each day waiting for an organ transplant, most of them for kidneys. If you've ever considered becoming a living organ donor, or if you're someone in need of an organ transplant, visit MatchingDonors.com, home of the greatest gift of all, the gift of life. MatchingDonors.com. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.